Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today I'm chatting with Chris Mitchell and we're talking about overcoming challenges. Um, Chris is possibly one of the people, one of the most enjoyable people to talk to and the most down-to-earth and uplifting person. He has overcome just about every challenge you could think of. ADHD, he was born with um, complications due to rubella, which included a constricted aorta and cataracts, which left him legally blind. We also chat about that because I also give a little um, personal anecdote about um, having a grandmother that was blind. He also had speech impediment, ADHD, as I said before, and he was expelled from several schools and colleges. And I love the story about the colleges because you just need to listen to that one. Also, he grew up suffering from depression and was had a verbally abusive father. So you think all these all these things stacked up against him. And then when he was engaged to his dream girl, Chris suffered a stroke to his spinal cord. So, which robbed him of his ability to run, walk, stand, and basically he could have been depressed and could have led to other things. But no, he took it as another obstacle to overcome, another race that he had to run, something, a challenge, another challenge that he had to overcome. And it wasn't a challenge that depressed him. It was a challenge that, okay, how am I going to get over this? What is my next steps? Never once in this whole conversation that we have with him, does he ever say, poor me, pitiful me. And I even ask him several times, I'm like, how, how do you stay so positive? And his sense of humor just goes on and on and on. And I think with this one and combined with the one that's going to be at the end of the week with Alan Klein, you'll see the humor coming across as well. Um, and then next episode after this, I have one with a, someone who had a severe back injury and he's overcome a lot of stuff. So this week is all about overcoming challenges. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Chris and you know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. guys welcome back to another edition of chats from the blog cabin to say that my guest today has overcome a lot of challenges in his life would be a understatement he has done a lot of overcome a lot of challenges but he's come out stronger you've overcome a stroke blindness um adhd severe speech impediment uh constricted aorta wow i and you're still standing wow i'm in awe right now so, Chris, why don't you tell us a little about yourself before we get into what you do now? <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me here today, Melissa. Uh, a little bit about me. Yes, I do have a constricted aorta. That was a birth defect caused by the rubella syndrome when I was born. And which is, I know that's a redundant statement. I know my writer friends are going to say that's redundant. And it is. But I also was born with cataracts, which left me legally blind 
2200 in my left eye, 2300 in my right eye. I'm not able to read out of my right eye, and I've never legally, notice the word legally, driven a car in my life. And yes, I was born with a very severe speech impediment that forced me to be in speech therapy before I entered preschool. I did that all the way through high school, and I did fulfill a childhood dream of working in broadcast radio for the earlier years of my adulthood. I'm in the later years of my adulthood. When we say how late I am, but I am in the later years, and I'm proud of that. Uh, so yeah, I've had that. I've had those things. I had ADHD. Uh, I was kicked out of an elementary school, a high school, and two colleges, but yet I'm still a pretty smart guy. And one of the colleges wound up hiring me to teach a course there. So eh, it was karma. It was, it was a great experience for me. I also have um, lived through and uh, was raised by a functioning alcoholic father who's since passed away and dealt with the verbal abuse from him. And of course, the biggest thing that's happened in my life besides my marriage to my wonderful wife has been my ischemic stroke to my spinal cord, which occurred uh, in my mid-30s while I was engaged to her. Wow. There's so much to unpack in that whole <laughs> intro right there. Well, let's first talk about the college hiring you, the college that got that you got kicked out of hiring you back, what that must have felt like. Uh, victorious. Uh, there was an ADHD incident, and I was at fault for what I did. I was wrong. I should have been called on the carpet for it, which I'm fine with. I should not have been expelled from it because it, it, it blew out of proportion by administration more than it should have. And I fought it. I appealed it. It got expunged, but I did not feel comfortable going back because I was starting my own eBay business and I was doing that from my one bedroom apartment. And I created my own eBay course to teach others how to buy and sell on eBay. And I convinced the college to hire me back to teach a community education course. It was very rewarding and I uh, did not do a victory lap around the school saying, ha ha ha, you, you took me back. But I did enjoy the, the irony of working at the same college who just three years earlier told me to go pack my stuff, go and don't come back. So it was kind of, kind of a, uh, uh, gr great because it meant I overcame uh, my ADHD suspension or expulsion and was back on track of getting my life where I wanted it to be. Wow. So the, the ADHD, is that something that you still have now or is that something that you control with medicine? Because my middle daughter actually has ADHD as well. So I so know where you're from with that. Uh, no, I'm not on any medication at this point. I was up until. Um, well, until I moved here to Missouri, I had my stroke in California. And I'll tell you, if you want to calm down ADHD, have a stroke. <laughs> it really keeps you from bouncing off of things. And uh, I kind of manage it by, I know there's certain times of the day I can be very focused. And other times of the day, I, I have to be kind of no boundaries, just do whatever I want. And as long as I stick within that schedule that I've learned from studying myself, like in the mornings, is the best time for me to write. The afternoons, I'm more creative in, in, in my business. And the evenings, I tend to be a little bit more off the wall, um, a lot of energy. And I just sit in my recliner because since my stroke, I can't walk. I use a rollator. I, I just bounce off the wall, uh, watch TV. I can't really focus that well. So I've learned to manage my time, what times of the day I could be doing certain stuff. And if I stick to that schedule, I do pretty well. And as you can tell, I have a lot of energy when I do these interviews. Well, you can tell because your eyes are all over the place when you're talking, <laughs> which is great. Uh, that, that's not because of ADHD. I have a segmentation in my eye from birth. So that okay. had nothing to do with the ADHD. 
Okay. Let's talk about the blindness because a lot of viewers, a lot of my viewers and listeners don't know, but my grandmother was legally blind. My dad was very involved in the Lions Club um, because my grandmother was legally blind, but she didn't let that hold her back. So no. obviously you have not let being legally blind hold you back. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I was born with cataracts, as I mentioned a few moments ago, which did result in my vision being 22 in my left, 23 in my right. I've had my cataracts removed, but my vision is still pretty bad. And as you get old, they get bad too anyway. Um, but as a kid, we I went to the Missouri School for the Blind, a great school, uh, through second grade until they said, you may want to get your education somewhere else to my parents before I entered my third grade year. But one of the things that um, I, I believed in was the world's not going to adapt to my limitations. And back in back in my day, I'm 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 a child of the 70s. We we had those old rotary phones. I don't know know how many of the younger kids know what a rotary phone is, but a big circle that you put your finger in and you dial. And we my parents got this overlay, a big cardboard cutout that went around it to make the numbers larger. And I took it off the phone. And I told them I don't want that. And they asked me why, and I said because the world is not going to adapt to me. I got to adapt to it. So I taught myself how to just feel where the number two hole is to put my finger in and dial the number two or whatever number I wanted. Um, my parents have always been amazed at how I could put my hand on top of the old cable box and just press in the numbers for a channel without even seeing the digits. I just learned to adapt to the world and because the world's not going to adapt to you. You got to adapt to it. And the sooner you accept that and you start doing that, the, the further you're going to go in life. Do you think that helped you when you suffered your stroke, helped you with your recovery as well? I think that along with my ADHD and my attitude since I was a kid, which is what got me in a lot of trouble with my ADHD, I was a stubborn kid. I believe there is no rule that applies to me. All the rules apply to everybody else, but not me. I'm the exception to every rule. So I was very stubborn. And because of that stubbornness and bullheadedness uh, that I had, uh, that helped me fight all my disability and challenges, including my biggest one, my stroke. I have a um, great nephew who is born without a hand. He, he has a stub, but no, no fingers or anything. Mm -hmm. And he had the same stubbornness. And I try to tell his parents, my, my nephew and his wife, you know, you, you don't want to get rid of that stubbornness and defiance. You got to tone it down so he knows when to use it, when not to use it. You don't want to get rid of that because that stubbornness that he's not going to let anything stop him is something that's going to serve him really well as he ages. And I believe that's true for everyone who faces the challenge. So what do you tell people when they, they look at you and like people will say, oh, I'm so sorry all this stuff happens to you. You know, that pity that because, you know, a lot of people think that you should pity yourself. What do you tell them? Because obviously you don't have you don't throw yourself a pity party, do you? No, I do not. Actually, it's one thing I talked to my I talk about my book, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later. Uh, when I had my stroke and I came home from the hospital, uh, I went out to meet my fiance at the college where she worked. And the bus driver who drove me there, a city bus driver, knew me before my stroke. And it, he, he just was not himself when he saw me. It took him by surprise. A teacher friend of hers, a professor friend of hers, also her jaw almost hit the floor the first time she saw me in my wheelchair. And it got to me. And I thought, you know what? I am not going to let those people bring me down. And I decided that night, I looked at my wheelchair, I was sitting next to it, and I said, it doesn't define me. And that has been my mantra. I, I taken anyone who wants to pity me and I took that as fuel. I'm going to show them there's more to me 
than my disability. I want people to say Chris Mitchell is an author, a writer, a speaker, a podcaster, all these other things. And at the end of the sentence, they might say, and by the way, he's disabled, if they even say that at all. So when people pity me, I take that not as, oh, they're feeling sorry for me and I don't feel sorry for myself. Um, I take it as fuel to motivate me to go further because you feel sorry for yourself. You're not going to go anywhere. So you just got to got to say, hey, it could have been worse. For me, it could have been. Uh, I went to a rehab hospital after my stroke and there were people on the third floor that were in prolonged vegetative states. I know I'm very lucky and I do not pity myself because I know it could have been a lot worse for me. So let's talk about your podcast. Define yourself. Let's talk about that. The podcast is called uh, Hashtag Define Yourself Podcast. And it's a weekly podcast I started last summer. It's available on most of your favorite podcast platforms and at defineyourselfpodcast.com. And what I do is each week I interview somebody who has over overcome or overcoming a, a disability or life event. I call them COALS, C-O-A-L-S challenges, obstacles, adversities, limitations, and setbacks. And our mission is to empower people who have a colds. And we all have colds. We all have challenges, obstacles, etc., And empower them to succeed in their professional or personal lives. Because I believe everyone can do that. And there's a lot of great motivational speakers out there that will help you build your career. And that's super. But they never talk about the elephant in the room for people who have disabled, how to get over that disability so they can achieve that success. Mm -hmm. So we bring people on that are doing that, hear their stories, find out what they're doing to do that, to give you ideas how you can do the same in your life. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but I started the chats from the blog cabin during COVID. I used to have the huge, the biggest anxiety about getting in front of a camera and chatting with people with that I didn't know. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I, I love being around people, but I don't like talking to new people. So I just went for it. So that's how mine started. So there you go. Yeah, because you're going to find success outside your comfort zone. And I bet you can agree to that. You've probably found success in doing this great podcast by stepping outside your comfort zone. And I bet you're looking back and saying, why didn't I do that earlier? Yep, exactly. It's so true. And that's the thing. They say that life begins outside of your comfort zone. That's true. That's so very true. true. Now let's talk about your book. My book. It doesn't define me. It's a great little book. And I wish I had one in my hand to hold up on the screen, but that's okay. Uh, it's, it's, you know what a book looks like. It's rectangular, has a great cover on it, has a picture of me on it. It's available on Amazon. The book is about my experience of going to the hospital for an ascending to descending aortic bypass, which I needed to correct that constricted aorta that I had as a child. So that needed to be done. And sometime between the time I climbed onto the gurney and pre-op and woke up in the CVICU, I survived an ischemic stroke to my spinal cord. I learned about that injury when they woke me up in the CVICU and they wanted me to stand, which is protocol. So you don't get pneumonia. They wanted you to stand, take a step or two. And when I tried to stand, I slid my legs off the right side of the gurney until my feet touched the floor. And I started to stand. But instead of standing, bam, I hit the floor hard on my knees. We thought it was a fluke. We tried it again a half an hour later. And I went down even faster. The nurses scurried back to the desk, started chatting. I knew there's something wrong here. And it was determined after an MRI a few days later, I had an injury to my spinal cord. They did not tell me it was an ischemic stroke to my spinal cord while I was in hospital. I had a 
fight my doctor to get that diagnosis about three months later because hospitals, if they make a mistake, they, the last thing they want to do is admit that. So uh, so I went through that. And the book also talks about my experiences in rehab, coming home, having to make my house ADA friendly, uh, a life-threatening blood clot that I had. I, I had a burning pain in my leg. I thought it was muscles regenerating, nerves coming back, whatever. So I took hot showers. That was the worst thing I could have done. It turned out I had a life-threatening blood clot. I had to go back in the hospital. Got kicked out of PT. And it talks about my story in PT and what I did when my um, uh, insurance company stopped paying for my physical therapy. It's written for anyone who's had a stroke or any kind of disability and their caregivers. Because a lot of people who have strokes um, are not be able, are not verbal or uh, cannot communicate as well as I can. So I try to write it, go, letting you go inside my mind to understand what that person who has a stroke who may not be able to communicate may be experiencing and feeling so you can help them if you're a caregiver or a loved one of a stroke survivor. So let's talk about the stroke. How, what caused it? Do they know what caused it? We have theories because like I said, the hospital, um, risk management department, which is also known as CYA, uh, won't go into too much of it, but we did get the medical files and either there was a sudden drop in my blood pressure during the surgery and they administered too much medicine to compensate for it. The anesthesiologist did, even though the doctor said, don't worry about it. I anticipated it. That may have done it. We also are thinking there may have been a temporary um, lack of oxygen going into my spine because to lay people, what happened to me is a stroke. Uh, I found out from my doctor and I was surprised when she said to, to me, the medical community sees what happened to you as a spinal cord injury. And I went, wow, I've been thinking it was a stroke. And, and even when I was in the hospital and heard that it was to my spinal cord, I ignored that because people I knew with spinal cord injuries never got any better. And I, which is not true, but that's what I believed at the time. And so I, I blocked that out of my mind because I was determined to walk again. And today I'm able to walk with a rollator. Um, but yeah, it was a, uh, it did occur probably because of something that happened in surgery, but we cannot definitively say what it is. Okay. So let's talk about your fiance and cause most people, like some people are not like they're when they have a significant other, some people aren't strong enough to handle stuff like that. So let's talk about how wonderful she is, you know, yeah, or was. your wife, you know, <laughs> she is very, very, very wonderful. I'm sorry. She is very, very wonderful. Um, she was stayed in my hospital room day and night for the, uh, I think it was two weeks while I was in hospital before I got transferred over to rehabilitation hospital. She was there around the clock for me. Uh, the scary and the sad fact is that what happened to me can and has destroyed some relationships. And that's horrible because the person who had that happen to them, they, it's like a rejection. And you know what, people, if you have a disability, whether it just happened or you have one and you're looking at dating, it's a blessing. And, and you may not see it, but the blessing is if you have a disability and somebody does not want to date you, don't take it as rejection. Your disability has let you already weed out the people who are not going to be there for you when you need someone in your life as you age. So I find that as a blessing. But she was there 24 hours a day. She helped turn me in my bed, helped me open up my milk carton because originally I had spasticity. I couldn't use my fingers that well. She would, when I got home, she drove all the way across town. Help me get dressed in the morning. And then she went halfway back across town to her job 
After her job, she came back to my apartment, helped take care of me all evening until she went home at 10 at night and went back to bed and then started the whole cycle over again. She was wonderful. And when we were uh, about to get married in California, you had to marriage counseling. We told the the pastor what we've been through. And he said, you don't need counseling. If you two can survive that, your marriage will be fine. And we've been married for uh, coming up in 18 years uh, this June 7th. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. She hasn't killed me and I haven't killed her. So that's good. <laughs> I love that. Because <laughs> I bet there's challenge, There's extra challenges on top of that. So there's yeah. extra stresses. So, yes. wow. She has so, my stroke and my ADHD and she's a wonderful person. So what would, what challenges on, and marriage is challenging enough. So what yes. challenges do you face besides what, on top of that, you know, because you said your stroke and your ADHD. Right. Uh, so are you talking about challenges in my marriage? Yeah. Okay. One of the things is I can't drive and I've not been able to drive because of my vision and, and all. So there's extra responsibilities she has to take on. Like if we want to go anywhere, um, she has to drive and, and that's fine. We live in a community now. We're in Joplin, Missouri, which is in Southwest Missouri near the border of um, Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas, and we don't have a great public transportation system. So if I need to go anywhere, we she has to get me there. Um, she has to juggle things at her job to do that. Um, I jokingly say to people, and I said this to a group of uh, to some people, and they, they did not find it funny. It was mainly wives. I said, we have a great marriage. I make the mess and she cleans it up. And it's uh, <laughs> not because I'm, I go through the house destroying everything, but I would drop stuff and and make messes and I can't safely clean them up. So she cleans them up for me. Um, I help out with finances, a lot of the technical stuff and logistics in our marriage. And she, she does the laundry because I can't really safely do that. And, and I have a theory. If the lead closes on the washer, you have more room for laundry. So this cram it fall. And I was told <laughs> that's not really the way it's supposed to work. So I'm not allowed to do laundry. And I, up until about Christmas, I'm not allowed to vacuum, but we got these little robot shark, robot rumba things that go around the house. They're now from my phone. I can tap a few buttons. I can now vacuum the house from my recliner. So I'm happy about that. But she does have to do a few extra things to get me around and, and help. And she never complains about it. She does it very cheerfully. I'm very appreciative of it. And in, retro, and in return, I do things for her. I make sure all of our bills get paid because uh, her theory with mail is this. If it does not look like it's fun, if it does not say you could be a winner of a million dollars, she has no interest in opening it. So if I was not the one opening the mail and reading them and paying the bills, we would have a much lower credit score. So uh, I, I play like you shouldn't any marriage. You play to your strengths. Each cup, each marriage does. And you find out what you're good at and you do those and you work together as a team and never criticize the others for their job or their lack of doing it. Was there ever a time during when you woke up from your stroke where you told her, you know, go ahead and live your life and don't worry about me? No, I never said that. Um, we did have a conversation in the hospital room where she said um, it, it was July 2002 and we were going to get married July, June 2003. She said, maybe we ought to push the wedding date back. And I got very upset and I said, no, I'm going to be there and walk down the aisle with you on June 7, 2003. And that was the end of that conversation because I told her, we're not pushing it back. We're not letting this stop us from our plans. And I did not walk her down the aisle. I was still 
pretty immobile at the time. So I rode a scooter, but I was there for the wedding. I kept my word to her. And that was the only type of conversation we had regarding um, changing our plans after the stroke. Well, I think it's because maybe it's because you've overcome so much in your life that you weren't like, you know, I don't want you. And she already knew what you overcome. Right. That you weren't pitying yourself and you weren't thinking, oh, what am I going to do now? Because you were already prepared for what life was going to bring next. Uh, maybe not one because a stroke for the last thing I expected to happen, but I was going to, I looked at it as like, okay, this is just another challenge in my life. We're going to find a way through this. So how do you get that mindset of that's another thing in my life? How am I going to get through this? Well, at the, at the age of my stroke, um, I've had so many other things happen, um, being expelled from school, losing a job here, uh, being wrongfully terminated and all, and I've overcame all of them. So you, when you're facing a big challenge, look back at the things that you you faced before and that you overcame and draw upon that to say, hey, I've done it before in this situation and I can do it here because the little things that challenge us in our lives help us prepare for the bigger things that are going to come later. No, there's a lot of people that don't look at that. They look at, oh, what else is going to happen? They look and they look for the doom, no, like the doom people. They look for what, what another shoot that's going to fall, you know, what other shoe's going to fall or what what next thing things come in three what's the next thing that's going to happen so that's negative thinking i don't allow that so that's that's the thing how do we keep positive especially during this time during covid and during everything else well for covid for example let, let's take that um because i'm disabled i don't get out that much be, which we talked about a little bit earlier uh, covid has been a blessing for me because more and more people are now video chatting and zoom has taken off podcasts have taken out so I looked at COVID and said, how can I make this work to my advantage? And I found I've, I've connected, well, I connected with you. I connected mm -hmm. with other podcasts to be on. I've done 20, no, actually 30 episodes, only 22 of them had dropped. I, I, I tape in events, but I've done 30 interviews with people who I never met before. Mm -hmm. uh, I've joined Toastmasters clubs from around the world and chatted with them. I've I've expanded my world of people I get to talk to and see on a daily basis, all because of COVID. I saw the situation and said, what can I do in this to benefit from it? Yes, there's a lot of sadness. People have lost their life. We lost over 400,000 Americans to COVID, which is more than we lost in World War II. And there's a lot of tragedy, and I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. And people have lost jobs, a livelihood. Uh, some may be facing losing their homes, and that is a very real and tragic situation. And it can be a very scary time, but try to find the positive in it. Um, I knew a I have a friend of mine who lost her job because of budget cuts during COVID. And instead of pitying herself, she said, you know what? I've been thinking about starting my own business. This has just pushed me into it. And she just launched her own um, new um, social media consulting business about two months ago. And she's happy. So she found the positive in, in losing her job during COVID. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at the positive. I mean, I've I've known a lot of people that have launched like brick and mortar stores during COVID mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have thought otherwise to launch because then now they're having that free time to think about instead of go 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 all the time. They're home. They're able to free up their mind to think of other things instead of taking kids to ballet and dance and all that right. stuff that that busies up our lives. And at the very least, you're getting to know your family better. Yes.
by being and for some cases it's a good thing others it's like oh my gosh what did i get myself into and my cat and i don't know if you have pets or not my cat looks at me because now my wife is working from home for uh, because i'm considered high risk for covid she's working from home she works for a call center and the cat looks at us each day like why is she in my house all day now so our cats are starting to give us look like doesn't she supposed to I, because the cat's looking like he's worried we're gonna run out of cat food she must go and earn money and bring in cat food for me yeah the cat does get really worried and when she's on the calls to her customers we have um we have uh not, not carpeting on the floors in the center of the house so we have a vaulted ceiling so he meows loudly and the customers could hear him crying all morning long when are you going to work i need cat food go out there and get me cat food all morning <laughs> so you got to find the humor in the situations as well yeah that's true Let, let's talk about your um career and broadcast radio because you definitely have yes. the voice for it so let's well, talk thank about you. that thank you uh yes that was my childhood dream to work in radio and i pursued that in college my first college um that i went to then i moved to a, another state and went to college and worked in radio as well there studied radio i've been involved in two different morning shows in northern california as a participant in the program i also help co-host a call-in radio program for an internet service provider answering questions about how to use the internet browsers that kind of stuff about 20 years ago so don't ask me questions today because the industry has changed so much but i have done that i worked as a board operator for a christian radio station in northern california uh overnight which was i thought would be kind of fun because i'm a night owl uh actually trying to stay up into 6 a.m is not an easy thing to do every single night i can tell you that so there's been one or two nights i fell asleep at work which was not a good thing but uh yeah i enjoyed doing that uh i had a lot of fun on the radio i love 80s music i still love the 80s today i listen to American Top 40 all the time from iHeartRadio, which now they owe me money for doing a plug for them on your podcast. And <laughs> so I, I love the 80s music. I watch 80s TVs, 80s movies. Uh, I would love to build a house that's all retro 80s, and the only thing from the 21st century in it would be my internet. Oh, cool. So let's talk about some 80s stuff. There's some 80s music out there. I'm sorry, what's that? There's some 80s music out oh, there. Uh, some of my favorite songs, is, uh, my favorite is Susudio by Phil Collins. Love that song. Mm -hmm. uh, Back in Time by Huey Lewis and the News. Big Huey Lewis and the News fan. I uh, really love him. And I love Weird Al Yankovic. Anything Weird Al does. Loved his Eat It, his um, Fat, his um, uh, Hey Ricky, My Bologna, all of his stuff. I have almost everything Weird Al Yankovic has done. So yeah, that might be the only other thing I have from uh, beyond the 80s is Weird Al Yankovic music. But big fan of Huey Lewis, Rod Stewart, uh, Elton John, uh, like I said, Phil Collins, any, pretty much anything 80s, love it. Yep. Right there with you. And the big hair, the big hair rock bands too, or no? Um, if, if I like the music, yeah. I did, I, it's not like I... I, if it made it in the top 40s, I enjoyed it. I didn't care who did it. I, I enjoyed it. I liked um, some of the more obscure things. Well, maybe not obscure, but Cindy Lauper, I enjoyed her. I enjoyed um, a little bit of Duran Duran. I, I got sick of Duran Duran because when I was working in radio, every teenage girl called me, play Duran Duran, play Duran Duran. Look, this is a radio station. We play a lot of songs, and I cannot constantly play Duran Duran. Go out and buy the album. 
<laughs> you want to hear it constantly by the album? We can't do it all the time. We're not Duran Duran radio. So I got a little sick of Duran Duran, mainly because every teenage girl called me wanting Duran Duran. But uh, yeah, I, I loved everything about the 80s, uh, music-wise. I, there's only maybe one or two songs from the 80s, which I can't really remember, that I really did not care for. But 99% of them, um, I love. And when I'm not listening to American Top 40, I play 80s music all day long while I'm in the office while I'm writing. I just can't do that right now with my wife working at home. So, But I love her that much. I'll make that sacrifice for her. So let's talk about the adjustment of your wife being at home all the time now, because now you're having to, like you said, adjust a little bit. So you're in each other's space 24 seven, pretty much. So how do you guys do that? Actually, we, we are the odd couple. And what I mean by that is when she's at work and one of her coworkers says, I can't wait until the weekend. My husband's going to go away for three days. She looks at them like, why did you marry him? If you're wanting him to be away from you, we love being together. We hate being apart. We are, uh, we love traveling. We don't have any kids. We love traveling and we love just being together in the same space. I, I wound up having to share or surrender my office here so she can work because we only have one office in the house and it's worked out great. Um, it's it been a little bit of a juggle doing some podcasts when I need to record the podcast and she's working with customers. So I got to do it in other parts of the house, but uh, it's been super. I what has come away from this is I've overheard because I'm not supposed I'm not around her when she's actually talking to customers because of the privacy issues. But I overheard her end of the call. I have a better respect for what she does during the day, a better respect of what she puts up with. She works for a call center. I I I have a better understanding of how abused she gets at times from customers, and I'm very much more grateful for what she goes through to help take care of me and take care of our family. Uh, so it really had made me more understanding of why some days when she gets off work, all she wants to do for 30 minutes, which used to drive me up a wall, is vent about her day. I have a better understanding of that and more tolerant of listening to her vent about her work day as she drives home. So actually COVID has actually made it a better relationship for you guys then too. Yes, we both understand what the other does during the day at our jobs and it really has helped. It's helped me and be better at encouraging and supporting her and what she does. And she has always been great at, but I think she has a better understanding of what I do. And she's become more supportive of what I do during my day and my job. Wow. I mean, your, your resiliency is just something else. I'm looking at your bio right now and I, things that are popping out, like how you taught yourself, how to walk after your insurance company gave up on you and you know uh, just your positivity you're exuding it i mean other people would have just said no this this is way too much i can't handle this anymore so how did you teach yourself how to walk after your insurance company said nope sorry forget it i was really hoping you would ask that question because it's a great great question and that's why i put it into the bio and it has a great answer uh it was like uh seven years after my stroke, I believe it was. And my wife and I went to Target. And normally when we got to Target, my wife would get my wheelchair out of the back of the car. We have a rendezvous, bring it up to the side and I would get into the wheelchair. She would wheel me in the store, wheel me around the store and wheel me out. One day when we went in, I looked off to my left and I said, wow, Target got these really cool scooters. I want to ride one of those. Now, I knew it was going to be stupid or a waste of time and inconvenience for to get me in the wheelchair, bring me in the store, let me get in the scooter, take the wheelchair back at this car, 
come back in. We do our shopping. Then when we're done shopping, I have to wait in the scooter for to bring me the wheelchair to get back to the car. So I said, that's stupid. Let, let's figure out a solution to this. So next trip to Target, when we parked, there was a red Target cart near our car. And I said, dear, bring me that red cart. So I grabbed under the front of the red cart with my hands on that little bar that you would push. And I kind of leaned against it. It was not pretty and it was not easy, especially our Target had a park in the parking lot. They had this big hole that you could get a, a wheel stuck into. You got to be careful mm -hmm. as you go into the building. But I pushed that cart in to the store, to the scooters, so I could ride a scooter. And because I did that a couple of times, I developed the strength and the confidence to say, I'm going to get myself a walker, which has two wheels in the front, two straight legs in the back. And I used a walker for about a year. And I said, I can handle a rollator, which has four wheels on it. And that's how I taught myself to do it. I just said, I'm, I want this. I'm going to find a way to do it. And I started thinking outside the box. Then I used a grocery cart like a walker to begin. And that's how it be, began. It was very painful and difficult. And if I started walking, don't get in my way because I can only do this for a certain amount of time, stand for a certain amount of time. So, you know, clear a path. And then I sat down, I sat down hard, but now it's like a piece of cake to me. Wow. About 10 years ago. Wow. Just because Target got scooters and then you wanted to ride around in a scooter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they'll, they'll be like, it'd be cool. And then, then instead of my wife being behind me and I can't see her, she can only see the back of my head. We could, in essence, walk side by side because one thing we used to do when we were dating was we would hold hands while we walked through the store and we both missed doing that. So if I'm driving the scooter, I can have one wheel, one hand driving the scooter and the other holding her hand. So it kind of brought that intimacy back to you yeah. when you're out in public. And I love that. That's yeah. so sweet. So that was, that was actually the reasoning behind it. It wasn't the scooters. It was that. Well, the scooters kind of motivated it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was the underlying reason. <laughs> well, there was a third reason, too, because when we live in Missouri in the winter, it gets very dry air. And when we were pushing the wheelchair, either I or her would get one of those static electricity shocks. And neither one of us enjoyed that. So we figured the scooter would be safer. So those are the three reasons I decided I'm going to learn how to do this. And and I wanted to get better. I really want to walk again in my life. And, and I'm it's been 18 years post-stroke, and I still believe there will be a day that I will be able to walk i may not be able to walk you know 10 20 miles but if i could take two or three steps without using any mobility aids that's going to be a victory for me so do you do you, do you have a timeline that you want it done by no i don't do that on purpose because if i say i'm going to do that in a year and i don't i may be disappointed and i don't want that i just say before i die i want to do that so it's a goal that I'm always striving for and working towards because of the saying out there. And I can't remember who said it. Uh, we often overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in five years or 10 years. And I really do believe that's true. And if I say I'm going to do all this stuff in one year and I don't get it done, I know from previous experiences of doing that, I get discouraged and I will pull back on trying to do things. So I don't really set deadlines for certain things like that now i do have deadlines like well i got to get my taxes done by april 15th mm -hmm. but i mean otherwise you know certain things i won't set deadlines on and that's one of them i just say sometime in my life i'm going to do this and i know that i will because i'm working towards it every single day so do you have other deadlines and things that you want to do in your lifetime uh retirement used to be on the table but i cannot picture myself waking up every single day 
and just sitting and watching TV. So that's not on my list. Um, there is a kind of a goal I have is in five or six years, get my business to the point where my wife can retire and work with me f- part-time, full-time. And we just, I do my writing. I do my podcast because I can do that anywhere and we can just travel together while we're still young enough to enjoy doing that. So that's about a five or six year goal out for me. Um, so that does sort of have a timeline and I'm hoping to do it in five or six, but I also know there's a lot of variables I cannot control. It depends on how the market goes, um, marketing myself, uh, what direction things go after COVID. If podcasts are going to drop in attendance, if people are going to do less on the internet and more in real life, those kind of things. But um, I'm keeping it loose and I'm hoping that in five years she can retire from what she's doing and work with me full time and we can travel and just work together. What are some of the states that you want to see or some places that you want to see? Well, one place is I love to go to Wrigley Field and during a day game and watch the Cardinals and Cubs. I'm, I'm from St. Louis originally, and I just love Wrigley Field, and that's on our bucket list. I would also – we also have a goal we started many years ago, and we had to stop because of COVID. Uh, we want to visit every state capital just to say we visited every state capital in America. So that's on our list of things to do. Uh and I would love to go to the Albuquerque balloon fiesta that they have each um, October love hot air balloons. And I would love to go up in one. So that's one of my, my goals to do in life. So how many state capitals have you visited? Let's see. We've been to Oklahoma, Missouri, and California. So we just got started on it before COVID. So three down 47 to go 48. If you count Washington, DC, <laughs> Well, if you're ever in North Carolina, look me up. I mean, that's where I'm at. (laughs) All right. We'll keep you on that list. So is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Well, a couple of things here. One, I did forget. I do want to see the Space Needle in Seattle. Uh, Two, uh, I I encourage everyone, no matter what the battling or facing in life, that you can overcome it, have a positive attitude, and don't give up on yourself. And three, if I can, I'd like to invite people to visit my website and my podcast. Okay. So on that note, where can people find you at? Oh, good. Nice segue, wasn't that? Worked out great. Um, I can be found in many places. My website is I am the letter I for inspirational and for motivational, chrismitchell.com. And it's going to be revamped in the next month. So it's going to even look better than it does today. And I'm also on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter at I am Chris Mitchell.com. And my podcast is the hashtag define yourself podcast available on your favorite podcast player close to your Apple or Android phone. All right, Chris, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing and how you basically can overcome anything. I mean, and positivity is the key not to yes, let anything drag you down and just to be positive about life. Yes, it is. Thank you so very much for having me today. Yes. And guys, we will see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Y'all, honestly, I probably would have been into bed, covered up if I had been half of what Chris has gone through in his life. Um, but the fact that he taught himself to walk because he wanted to hold hands with his wife in Target. Oh my gosh, that was like the most amazing story ever. I love that story. 
And that just shows to, goes to show you that there are so many things that we can overcome if we just have the right mindset. Mindset is so important. Um, in the next couple episodes and going into April, we're going to be talking about mindset and talking about, I mean March, not April, excuse me. Um, we're going to be talking about mindset and some of the things that, you know, women especially have to deal with because women were heading into Women's History Month, which all women are going to be on the, either, maybe not all women, but all women issues are going to be um, talked about on the podcast. And we're going to kick it off with Patrick Quinn, who is from Brainly, and we're going to talk about virtual schooling because I know that you guys, moms that are home, single moms, moms with partners, even even dads are struggling with virtual schooling right now with their kids being home due to the pandemic. So I hope you really enjoy this episode with Chris. I would love for you to leave a rating, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to, and share it with friends. I would love if you share it with friends. And thank you so much for being part of the podcast family. And until next time, start chatting.